Let's pause for a minute in prayer before we consider our text for this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Let's pray. Father, as we come to learn of you, we pray that you would speak clearly, that your words would still have their ancient power, that they would address the deep needs of our hearts and draw us nearer to yourself. We thank you for the Bible. It's a gift to us. May we use it wisely and apply it well. To the honour of your name we pray. Amen. In chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, you'll realise that Paul the Apostle is sticking to the same theme as that with which he ended chapter 3. He's still emphasising the privileges for those who are, through faith in Jesus and by the work of the Holy Spirit, sons and thus heirs of God their Father. I have three simple points for you this morning. Noting that God sends his slave master, he sends his son, and he sends his spirit. The second and third are obvious. But what do I mean when I say that God sends his slave master? Well, we need to understand that God sends his slave master to school us. Back in chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul asked the rhetorical question, why then the law? And he's continuing to answer his own question. Why, if it does not possess the power to save us, did God send the law through Moses? Here we find a reference to the ancient practice of having a special slave in the household of a rich master whose sole purpose is to be the guardian of the son and heir of the household. And while that set of circumstances remained in place, the son, although heir of the whole estate, had no more freedom than a slave. He may have been the future owner of all his father's riches, yet he was no better than one in bondage. Perhaps you remember Mr. Miyagi training Daniel to be the Karate Kid. The young man was deeply frustrated, being made to paint the fence, paint his house, sand the, the floors, wax his cars, wax on, wax off. He longed to be something more than this. But he didn't realise that he was being schooled for a great future. Or the same idea, Luke Skywalker being trained by Yoda to become a Jedi warrior. He didn't understand and he was deeply frustrated by his lessons. But this was vital schooling for what he was yet to be. Paul writes in verses 1 to 3. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The purpose of the law sent by God is not to condemn us. Although Satan loves to twist the law and to misuse it for this purpose. No, God's intent was that the law would convict us of our sin to show us that we are messed up and so to create within us a longing for something more, for something better, for righteousness. As C.S. Lewis explains in his book, Mere Christianity, 
if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And if you're watching this service this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the explanation for the discontent in your heart. You are longing for something more than this. And there are many people in this land and across the world who rightly are convicted by the law of God and who correctly recognize that they are guilty sinners. Perhaps they go to confession or they engage in some religious practice. But since their hearts are not turned solely to Christ to experience through him the only means of salvation, they find themselves remaining fearful and unforgiven, in despair and not delight. But that's not God's purpose for us. He gives us the law to school us for the unfolding of his great plan. Paul uses a further picture here when he writes of elementary principles. These are the ABCs or the one, two, threes. A child learns the, the basic building blocks of the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. You don't go straight to polynomial equations or concerning yourself with split infinitives if you ever get around to worrying about such things. You start with ABC and one, two, three. Part of a young child growing up is, is that moment when, when mom or dad gets their little two-year-old to, to count to ten and makes it their party piece. So that when the family come around, do you remember when the family used to come around? When the family comes around, the little two-year-old is made to do that little counting of one to ten. And everybody applauds. But you don't make your 14-year-old stand in the middle of the living room and say, show granny how you can count to ten. No, you expect them to have moved on to what is better. God sends the slave master to school us to train us in the basics, to reveal that we are sinners in deep need who must find their way to the only source of hope and help, Jesus Christ. One of the reported problems in our current crisis is that many people are unwilling to make their way to hospital even though they're suffering from serious illness. This week, consultant cardiologist Dr. Ramsey Kamis said, We've seen about half as many patients as we usually do coming into our heart attack centre, some with significant delays. We're now becoming quite anxious about the ones we are not seeing. If you have a serious problem, but don't come for treatment, if you don't acknowledge God's good gift of pain, which is designed to help us understand there's something wrong with our bodies, you cannot be healed. In the same way, if you don't learn from the schoolmaster of the law how far short of the glory of God you have fallen, you will never experience forgiveness and the fullness of life which Jesus came to win for you. God was not content to leave his people lost in their sin. His heart's desire was to make us his sons and heirs. And so we discover that God sends his son to save us. Verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, 
born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Perhaps you've had a conversation in the past two months expressing thanks that while we're in lockdown, at least we have accessible technology, Skype, FaceTime or Zoom, to name but a few, through which we can keep in contact with our loved ones and still see them, if only on a screen. And while broadcast services are far from ideal, at least the technology allows us to do this, enabling us to worship together even though we are apart. Just a few years ago, we would not have had such ready access to these things. In the same way, much is made of how helpful was the state of the world when the moment came for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. There was a common language. Uh, Greek was spoken by all people. The whole known world was under Roman rule with excellent roads to allow ease of travel. Then there was the Jewish diaspora, which began the time of the Maccabean revolt of the, the middle of the second century BC. Consequently, the Jewish community had spread and established synagogues in cities all around the Mediterranean. And it was with these that Paul made his first contact upon arriving in any city during his missionary journeys. And there was deep dissatisfaction. Firstly, among the Jews, they were longing for the coming of the Christ. In Luke chapter 3, verse 15, we read of this where Luke records the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. The people were anticipating Christ's coming, but John came to prepare the way. But it wasn't just among the Jews. Also, the time was right because the Greek and Roman communities were experiencing deep dissatisfaction with their gods. They were longing for something more than this. For something real. There could never have been a better time in human history for the arrival of the Saviour. Paul explains that Jesus came at the perfect time, perfectly qualified, with perfect righteousness to enact God's perfect plan. He came to live among us, to die for us and to gift to us the twin blessings of redemption and adoption. As God's sinless son, alone he was able to take upon himself our curse and to make available to us his blessing, his righteousness. Back chapter 3, verse 13, Paul notes that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeems us so that we might be adopted into God's family. Question 34 of the Shorter Catechism asks, what is adoption? And the answer is given. Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have the right to all the privileges of the sons of God. He sent his son to save us through dying in our place. And God sends his spirit to secure us or to seal us. We are not by nature sons and daughters of God. That is only possible by supernatural transformation, being born again of the Spirit. 
What we have in the shorter catechism is like the legal documentation to determine that a child has now been transferred into a new family. You can imagine a child going before a court and all the legal agreements being put in place. But that does not create the familial bond. There must be something more than this. Again, Paul writes verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. To whom do you cry out when you are in pain? Perhaps, like me, you can still remember falling as a little child and running home, crying out for your mummy to care for and comfort you. You cry for the one you know will provide the necessary comfort and care. You cry for the one you know who can help you in your time of need. And this is such an amazing truth. That God, who is our Heavenly Father, wants us to run to Him for such comfort. To turn to Him, knowing with confidence that we will have open access into His intimate presence. Jesus, who gave skin to God, cuddled little children and welcomed them into His embrace and invited them to experience His tender care. And by the work of the Spirit, in the heart of a believer, we are informed and affirmed of the truth that we can crawl up onto our Father's lap, knowing the comfort of his encircling arms. As we noted, 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. The Jewish people won't use God's name. Out of deep reverence, they won't even write it down. But now, because of the work of the Son, confirmed by the Spirit, Christians can call him Abba, Daddy, Dada, the very first words that are formed on a child's lips. Alistair Begg tells the story of a missionary couple who adopted a little girl. They welcomed her into their home, and she was a very good little girl. She went to her bedroom on time each night. She ate her meals. She quickly learned to obey the rules of the family home. Yet her parents longed for something more than this. The day it really dawned, the day of rejoicing for her father, was the day when his daughter came to him and said, Daddy, I need a shoelace. In that simple request, she both acknowledged that he was her dad, and that he would provide for her. Legally, her adoption was secure. The provision and care of her parents was without question. But it was in that moment when she said, Daddy, I need, that all the legalities were transformed into love, into that something more that God had always planned for us. Earlier, Peter was speaking of the prodigal son who realized that what he needed most was not the riches of this world, but his father's love. That intimate relationship was his true inheritance. But as you know, there was another brother who didn't join the party 
and even refused to come into his father's house. So graciously, the father went out to him. And we read the story in Luke 15, verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. High telling his answer is. It reveals that his relationship with his father was a burden, not a blessing. It was a duty and not a delight. It was not intimacy, it was imposition. Paul tells us, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. So in response to these words, we have to examine our hearts this morning and ask ourselves, where where, where am I in this picture? Am I still being schooled as to the sinfulness of my heart? And have I not yet learned the lesson? Am I still dead in my trespasses and sins? Or have I come out from under the law, being forgiven, cleansed by the blood of Christ, but still trying to earn my Father's love out of duty and not out of delight? Or am I assured and secured in my Father's love, that I can address the very one who made the heavens and the earth as Abba, Daddy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this amazing truth that transforms our identity from slaves destined to death and hell to sons who will be heirs of heaven itself. Lord, we recognise that this transformation does not come without a cost. That you loved us, that you sent your Son to save us. He died on the cross. He suffered in our place. He bore our punishment that we might receive his righteousness. May our hearts ever be filled with love, joy and thanksgiving for this, the greatest gift that we might ever know. And may we receive it. And may we react to it appropriately, knowing that there's nothing more needs to be done to set us right with you. We can rest in the intimate relationship we have that frees us to call you Daddy, Abba, Father. Lord, may we know ourselves to belong to you, to have that nearness, that, that closeness, that comfort, that care, that a father alone can exhibit to his much-loved child. Abba, Father, let me be yours and yours alone. May my will forever be, evermore, your own. Amen.